Hello, welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. God, we just humble our hearts before you. We recognize our need for you. We see, God, that you are good as we have sung, and we desire to be the people that you want us to be. So we pray that this time would not be wasted, Lord, as we have the Word of God in our laps. We pray that it would mold and shape our hearts and our lives. That we wouldn't leave this place less in love with you. That we would fall all the more in love with you, God, through the reading of your Word. I thank you for the opportunity to gather this Sunday morning and to, to, uh, to open your word and to study it. We pray, God, that it would be fruitful. God, that your name would be blessed by your people. Father, I would ask that you would help me to rightly divide your word, that I would not lead anyone astray to the right or to the left. May I be an instrument in your hand to mold and to shape our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And so we were, we're studying John chapter 4. It is a, probably a story that have you been in church for any amount of time? You, you've heard this before. You're familiar with it, but it's so good to get back to the basics, if you want to call it that, and, and to just look at it very simply, to see this interaction between Jesus and this woman, a one-on-one conversation, very similar to the way he interacted with Nicodemus, and really the way that he meets with you and I as well. He, he, come, he came to seek and to save the lost. He meets with us individually. He shows us all our need for him individually. And so he spends this conversation, this time with the woman at the well, It's interesting, John said it this way, that as he left Jerusalem, he needed to go to Samaria. Remember that from last week? He needed to go to Samaria. And we said, no, really, he didn't need to go to Samaria. Uh, In fact, as a a good Jewish man, he wouldn't have gone to Samaria. In fact, as part of the Jewish culture, they tried to avoid everything of Samaria. And so, yes, he needed to go to Galilee, but most often, or had he been practicing the culture of the day, he would have gone around Samaria. But greater than culture impressing his life was the will of God. And in that moment, in that he said, no, I need to go to Samaria because I have an appointment. I have a meeting with a woman. And not only is this one person going to be impacted, but really the region there will be impacted. And we're going to see that today. Revival breaks out. Many people come to the Lord because he needed to go to Samaria. And the question is, where do you need to go? Where do we need to go? sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the challenge of the day as we go through this text. Is that's the, I'll, I'll lay it out in the front. Where do you need to go? Where is God um, pressing your heart to go? He ends up there with this conversa- in this conversation with the Samaritan woman. He knows her life. He knows her situation. He doesn't condemn her of her sin. He convicts, certainly convicts her of her sin, but he does not condemn her in it. One of the things we wanted to glean or see as we looked through this story was we need to remember that Jesus is fully God. And we usually get a hold of that pretty quickly and we hold on to that fairly strongly. Jesus is fully God. But we often forget that Jesus is also fully man. 
And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the kenosis where Jesus came and he emptied himself. And what that means is he took on the limitations of man. Yes, he is fully God, but for the time that he was here on earth, he took on the limitations of man. We see that here in John chapter 4. He stops at the well because he's tired. You tired this morning? Jesus knows what it means to be tired. He stopped there and he asked the woman for a drink because he was thirsty. We're just saying, we are hungry. We are thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? And he had sent his disciples into the town to get food. He was hungry. He experiences the things that you and I experience. So it says in Hebrews that we have a high priest that can empathize with us because he's lived the life we live. He's endured the temptations that we've endured. He experienced the things that we experience. Tiredness, thirst, hunger. And so we can go to him with our needs. Now it's going to be awesome to see what happens to those things as we continue on. But I wanted to remind you, he is tired, he is hungry, he is thirsty. And then probably the greatest thing we can glean from this story is the progression in the woman's heart as Jesus reveals himself to her. When the conversation begins, she says, what what do you, a Jew, have anything to do with me? A Jewish man have anything to do with a Samaritan woman? And he, she, she keeps him at a distance. You're just a Jewish man. But then as he presses and con- converses with her, sir, it goes from Jew to sir. And, and you see a beginning of respect for him. And, 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 and she's, like, she's intrigued now. And then Jesus um, opens her resume. I see your life, he says, and, and he says, you uh, go get your husband. She says, well, um, I, I don't really have a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, I know. You, you say, well, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking with now, he's not your husband, and you're living in sin. But it's okay. I'm here to help you with that. And, and he sees her need. He sees her shame in that. That's why she's at the well in the middle of the day to begin with. You go get water at the beginning of the day, but in the middle of the day, shows this, this woman shows up at noon, uh, John tells us, the sixth hour. And all the while, he's... he's uh, sorry. And so he says, she says, rather, at the end of her resume being read back to her, sir, I see that you're a prophet. So it goes from... Jew to sir to now prophet. And then he continues to elevate her thinking from the physical to the spiritual, showing her need for a savior. And she eventually leaves what she came for. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 28. But she leaves that and she goes back to the town and she says, could this be the Christ? Jew, sir, prophet, and finally Christ, the Messiah. And the truth that you and I can glean from that is the closer somebody as we, let's say it this way, the closer we come to Christ, the more majestic he becomes to us. As we, as we draw close to him, he, he becomes all the more majestic in our eyes. And, and yes, maybe just, yeah, he's, he's a God. He's a great teacher. We hear that as you share the gospel today. You're going to hear that. Oh, I believe Jesus was a great teacher. Yes, he was, but he's so much more. Just get to know him, and he will become a savior to you. And and so we see that thinking elevated in her in her life. 
And so we're going to pick up in verse 28 where we left off last week. And we read these first two verses already, but it's good to remember. He says, The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And there's the question as she elevates him in her heart. This, this is who I think we're waiting for. Remember, she was waiting for a Savior. She left her water pot. That's what she went to the well for, was to get water. And her life has been so dramatically changed, she completely forgot what she came for. She left the water pot there. Just It doesn't matter anymore. My, her thinking has been elevated from the physical need to now a spiritual need. And her first reaction as, as she sees the love of Jesus is to go tell somebody. Come see. She's not even sure at this point, but she wants other people to come and check it out. Come see. Is this the Christ? And, and, and so her, ele- her thinking has been elevated. We see a, a woman whose heart has been impacted. She's telling others. And I said it this way, and this is how we closed last week. We, we, we speak about what we love. We, that's out of the overabundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so the things that we're in love with, the things that touch our heart, is what we talk about. And I, I, Let me give you an example. Thanksgiving week, right? You excited about Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. I shared this with you last week. It's all the all the food of Christmas without having to buy any of the gifts. Does that make me a cheap person? Okay, probably. But you know, I love the food part of it, and I'm excited about Thursday, the feast that is coming. Let me help you. It was something that we discovered last year that will dra- dramatically improve your Thanksgiving. It's called deep fried stuffing balls. You're welcome. Awesome. (laughs) I'm going to just talk about something I love because I love deep fried stuffing balls. What you do is you take the stuffing that you have. You might have to mix a little bit of chicken stock or something with it uh, to get it to form, but you, you, you form it into balls about the size of like a hush puppy. Okay. And then a lot of people are deep frying turkeys these days. Eh. It's okay. It's not my favorite. Yes, it makes a good skin, but not my way. But if you're doing that and you've got the oil, may as well go ahead and take those stuffing balls. After you've done the turkey, throw them in the oil. Three or four minutes, golden brown, crispy on the outside. I I said, I think I said on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, if I could choose a way to die, it would be by deep fried stuffing balls. (laughs) Either that or bacon. And then somebody on Wednesday night said, why don't you wrap the deep fried stuffing balls in bacon? And I said, hallelujah, somebody set me free. <laughs> see how easy it is to talk about something you love? Did you see the game last night? Oklahoma State, they killed Baylor, and now we don't have to worry about Baylor going, you know, they, they, they were in the number four spot. They were probably going to jump Ohio State, but we don't need to worry about it anymore because Baylor lost, and I want to talk to you about football because I love football. It's easy to talk about the things that we love. Do we love Jesus? That's why I asked that question when I got up here this morning. Are we talking about him? Are we talking about him? We see in her life, she doesn't even know at this point if she is, if he is the Christ, but she's already talking about him. Could this be him? Come see. I, I met a man that told me everything I ever was. 
and didn't condemn me in that. Raised me out of my shame. Could this be the Christ come see? We see a love in her heart, in her heart already because her life is living it. We speak about what we love. So verse 30, new text. Then they, this being the men, went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. So recall the scene. The woman went to go tell the men, hey, is this the Christ? During that time, or while, while she was talking with Jesus, the, the, the disciples came back with Jesus's Big Mac. He had sent them to get food, and, and so they ran to McDonald's, and, and they, they're coming back with the food now because he was hungry, remember? And so now that they're alone, the woman has gone, hey, Rabbi, you were hungry, you sent us to get some food, eat, eat. Watch what he says. Verse 32, he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Was there a a Burger King that was closer? (laughs) Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus in his conversation is accomplishing what he needed to do, why he needed to go to Samaria. And in that conversation, in, in, in accomplishing the will of God, he becomes satisfied. We need to get a hold of that. There is a greater satisfaction in accomplishing the will of God in our lives than there is in satiating the physical. We're getting ready to gather around tables on Thursday with family and with friends. I want to put this theory to the test. I I, I believe that it is true. We see it in Jesus' life. That if we set our minds and our affections on accomplishing the will of God, we will have a greater satisfaction than if we just merely try to appease the physical. And here's how I want to test it. I want to sit around the Thanksgiving table. I want you to sit around the Thanksgiving table this week and look for opportunities to share the gospel. Look for an opportunity to plant a seed in somebody's life. Look for an opportunity to take a weaker brother or sister in Christ and encourage them along. And and I guarantee you that you will be more satisfied by doing that than you will by stuffing your belly full of food. I I wholeheartedly believe it to be true because it happens in Jesus' life. He's like, Yeah, I I stopped, I was tired, I was hungry, I was thirsty, but I'm not that anymore because I've accomplished the will of the Father. I came and I did what I came for here in Samaria. I reached out to this woman and and things are going well now. And, and, And so as I've accomplished the will of God, even my physical needs are taken care of. We see that, right? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about the physical is what Matthew's saying. Don't worry about the next paycheck or the the car payment or the the food that's going to be on your table. Don't worry about if your socks are clean or not. I don't care. Well, maybe the sock thing. but (laughs) Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make that our priority and everything else will be satisfied in that. 
And the principle holds true. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. Try it Thursday. Look for the opportunity. Go into the day praying, God, provide me an opportunity to share the Gospel, the good news, to plant a seed, to encourage a brother, to to bring somebody along. Look for that opportunity. I guarantee you will be more satisfied than even the best of meals. He says in verse 35, I'm fine, he says. Now he's going to look for an opportunity to teach his disciples. That's why they were hanging out with him to begin with. He's establishing the church. He's going to spend three years with these 12 guys. And they're going to, after Jesus resurrects and ascends, they're going to start the church. And so he uses these opportunities as learning lessons for their lives. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Then yes. If yes, then we learn from these experiences as well. He says in verse 35, Do you not say... There are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. As as the men are coming back, the woman has gone and, and shared the good news. Hey, is this the Christ out here at the well? Why don't you come and see? And so then this whole conversation goes on with them. You got food? Yeah, we got food. I'm good, blah, 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 right? As that's happening, he says, you say we ha- when the harvest is ripe, you know it because the, the fields are white for harvest. They're, they're, they're primed and ready. And he says, look up. Look at what's coming. And as they look up, they see the men coming through the fields that the woman has now sent to see if this is the Christ. He's saying, yeah, the harvest, quote-unquote harvest, is four months away, but look at what's coming. The harvest is now, is what he's saying. Can we look around our community today and say the same thing? Because it is. The time is now. The harvest is ready now in and around our community. We, we, I recognize that on the corner of Livingston and Bryce is not the best real estate in the world. But is it a good place for a church? Yeah. It's a real good place for a church. It breaks my heart that across this street, there's a bar open on Sunday mornings and there's people in there drinking. On Sunday morning. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that 400 yards this way, just last week, there was a murder. Are we in a rough neighborhood? Yeah, we're in a rough neighborhood. Do they need the gospel? Yes, they need the gospel. There's a strip club that way. There's an apartment complex full of people that that are chasing and pursuing false gods that way. We are in the midst of a harvest that is white, ripe, ready. Are we talking about the things that we love in this community? We need to be. We need to be. Jesus didn't say, just chill until I come back and get you. Flip on the TV, watch your American Idol, and hang out until I come back. We taught um, Matthew. 
uh, at our Monday night Bible study. We spent 18 months going through the book of Matthew. And I said, you know, it's interesting, and I don't think it's any coincidence that the end of the book of Matthew really speaks to the whole of the book of Matthew. And in that, at the end of the book is, you've heard it before, the Great Commission. It's not that we're just to chill and wait for Jesus to return. Jesus, the ascended Jesus, the the resurrected Jesus, commissions the disciples to do something. And you and I are commissioned as well. Commissioned. We're on a mission with God. Sounds pretty fun. I want to be a part of that. What is God all about? Well, His Word would tell us that He, we are, or sorry, He is seeking and saving the lost, and we are to be about that as well. Every Monday as we gathered for 18 months, I said, kids, we, we met with our kids. We had seven or eight kids with us and, and the adults as well. I said, we need to memorize this. And so I'll challenge you to do the same. If my nine-year-old boy can remember this, you can too. Jesus said to them, go therefore. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He doesn't say, just sit on your hands and wait till I come back. He says, go. Make disciples. And that's what you and I are to be about. As we are disciples of Christ, we are to... Calvary Chapel says it this way. Sheep beget sheep. You and I were just sheep. We're followers of Christ. Uh, This is where the sheep like to eat. That's the the motto of Calvary Chapel. We as, as followers of Christ, we're sheep, and we come here to eat. But healthy sheep beget more sheep. It's called procreation. I'm not going to break it all down. I think you get it. But as you and I are following Christ, we see His example going to where He needed to go, to Samaria, that's what you and I are to do as well. We are in, God planted us here in the midst of this community for a very distinct purpose and reason. They need a Savior. They need the Gospel here. And around it, and, and God's placed you in your job, and God's placed you in your school, and God's placed you in your family, and God has given you your friends because they need a Savior. Imagine, imagine if there was somebody in the world who 40 years ago came up with the cure for cancer and was sitting on it. Didn't tell a soul. Didn't bother to give it to the, the scientific world so that they could cure cancer. Imagine how you would feel if you found out that person was sitting on the cure to cancer. It'd make you angry. We all have friends. We all have family that have been diagnosed or have cancer or have died from cancer. We have a pastor that died from cancer this year. Imagine if you discovered somebody that said, hey, I I figured out how to cure that 40 years ago. I've been sitting on it. It's in my vault. I didn't want to tell anybody. You and I, as followers of Christ, have something greater than the cure for cancer. We have the cure for sin. Because cancer can kill the physical body. Sin kills the soul. And you and I hold the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we sit on it. 
and we don't share it. That anger that you have for that person that would sit on the cure for cancer, I, I deserve that anger. God hit me hard when I was young with that principle. 16, 17 years old, <clears throat> I was uh, working in a nursing home in the dietary department. I was a dishwasher. It was a good job, a good high school job. You started at 4.30, you were done at 8 o'clock. I never had to work too late. Made a minimum wage, four twenty-five an hour back in that day. And, and uh, I thought, you know, 60 bucks a week, I'm doing well. <laughs> but it was a good job. And uh, me and a, a guy, Gary Carpenter, worked together. He was another kid from high school. But Gary and I weren't friends in high school because we were in different social groups. Gary was the quarterback, the, the, the guy, the muscular guy, the good looking boy. He had the smoking hot girlfriend that everybody wanted to date. He, he got her. He had circles of friends. He had parties to go to. He had the good life in accordance with the, you know, the, the rules of high school. I was the choir boy, the fat geek, acne everywhere. Couldn't call a girl if I needed to. <laughs> call 911. If a girl to answer it, I'd probably hang up. <laughs> so we weren't friends, but we worked together. And for three hours every night, he and I would hang out and we would talk and we had a good time. We would laugh. We'd have, you know, an enjoyable time. Just was one of those understood things. He never said it. Hey, just don't talk to me at high school. He never, I just understood my position, my place. One night we uh, closed up the place and he said, I said, hey, Gary, I'll see you tomorrow. And he said, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Except one thing. He was lying. He knew when he left that place that he wasn't going to see me the next day. Because he went home and put a shotgun in his mouth and took his life. I couldn't bring myself to go to the funeral because I was so mad at him. How is it, Gary, that you could have everything that everybody ever wanted? You've got, you're, you're the popular guy. You have the girlfriend. You've got the circles. You, life is good for you. How is it that you could do that? That is the most selfish thing you could ever do, Gary. I was angry with him. God said, no, that's not the most selfish thing you've ever seen, Chris. You, Chris, had the cure for his pain. Whatever drove him to pull that trigger, you had the answer for, and you were selfish and didn't tell him. God hit me hard. Now, he's... He's forgiven me of that. God has. I've repented of that. And have I failed Him again in that? Yeah, I have. Where He's prompted me to share the Gospel and I can't open my mouth? Yeah, I have. We all have. What I want to challenge us to see today is that we don't have to 
anymore. That if we simply allow the love of God to well up in our hearts, the natural byproduct of that love will be us speaking of Him. We see it in the woman at the well. She barely knows this guy, but she sees something in him that is so wonderful, the first thing that she does is she goes and speaks of him. If you and I try to share the gospel in our own strength, if we think that we, oh, I'm just going to do it, you're going to fail every time. But if we just simply fall more in love with God, if we just simply see all that He has done for us, if we truly live thankful lives in, 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 in remembrance of what He has done for us, then the natural thing for you and I to do will just to be to speak of Him. Hey, I noticed you had a rough day at work yesterday. You kind of got yelled at by the boss, man. I, I, I know times are hard. Can I talk to you about something that's helped me? There's this guy, his name is Jesus. He lived a couple thousand years ago. But he was different than any other guy that's ever lived. And that's how you open the door. We don't just sit on our hands. You and I have been commissioned to share the Gospel, the good news, to make disciples. May we do that in love. The greatest commandment, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second, or one B if you want, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It isn't about how much you know. It's about how much you love in the economy of God. Verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. I love that God meets us individually, and we all need to be met individually. He meets with the woman at the well. He meets with Nicodemus. He meets with you and I on an individual level. But when we're saved, when we give our hearts to Christ, when we place our faith in Him, we're saved into a body. It's called the soma. That's the, the Greek word for it. The word means body. That you and I, as Christ is the head, we are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are saved into that body. And in that body, we have different roles and different functions. And part of that is to share the gospel of the good news. We do it in different ways. It says one sows, another reaps. And that we receive wages for those things. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Jesus is pointing out to the disciples, you're in a community together. Paul, the apostle, echoes this idea. I want you to see it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And while you're turning there, just some, some history on the Corinthian church. They're jacked up. <laughs> They had misunderstood the concept of Christianity on one level. They thought, and, and, and this was because of the Greek culture impressing on their lives, they thought the greatest thing in Christianity was to have a greater knowledge. That it was all about how much you knew. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's about how much you love. 
And I'm not saying that knowing things is a bad thing, that we're all just to be dumb sheep. That's not what I'm saying at all. We gather here to learn things of God. But in our learning, in our knowledge, the hope is that we leave this place not knowing more, but loving Him more. And Paul's like, you guys, the Corinthian church, you got it backwards. It's not all about what you know. It's not about all who taught you. It doesn't really matter how much we know. It's how much we love. And he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, speaking of the sowing and reaping idea. We're going to pick it up in verse 4, just a couple verses. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom, through whom you have believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Jesus said it, there's sowers, there's reapers. Paul said it, there's sowers, there's reapers. What we need to glean from this, from both teachings, is that the increase is not up to you and I. Jesus, yes, commands us to make disciples, but the way that accomplishes, the way that is accomplished is we introduce people to Jesus. He makes the disciples. Some plant seeds, some water seeds, but God is the one who gives the increase. What that does for you and I, I hope that feels freeing to you. We are not responsible for somebody else's salvation. We are responsible for planting the seeds. We are responsible for watering when we're commanded to water. But it is God who gives the increase. If, if somebody gets saved because of something that you have said and they haven't met with Jesus, they're not really saved. They need to meet with Jesus. And we're going to see that laid out in this, in this story, the way it, it happens perfectly. God is the one who gives the increase. You and I are just planting and watering. So back to John now, verse 39. This is awesome. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. And He stayed stayed there two days. And many more believed because of His own Word. That's what we see. That's the natural progression. She has her thinking elevated from the physical to the spiritual. Her life has changed. Hey guys, could this be the Christ? Why don't you come out and see? And all she does is she introduces them to the Christ. And in that time, as they're meeting with Jesus, they see that He is the Christ. They see it. Many more believe because of His own Word. In two days, revival's breaking out in the land all because He needed to be there. They saw this apparent change in the woman. Um, she bore fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3.8. I keep bringing that verse up. I think we're getting it. That our lives are going to show that Jesus Christ is in our life. That's what we see in her. And they believed. And then he hangs out for another two days. Verse 42. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
So this woman does what she is called to do, what you and I are called to do. She didn't even know she was called to do it. She had been a Christian for 30 seconds and she's already doing it. So that removes your excuse and my excuse to say, I don't know enough. How could she have known enough? She'd only been a Christian for 30 seconds. She didn't know anything about Christ other than he's coming. I just met somebody that's changed my life. Let me tell you about him. That's all we need to do. And you introduce other people to Jesus and you let Jesus do the increase, have the increase. You let Jesus minister to their hearts. You let Jesus change their lives. All we do is the introduction. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how he's changed my life. Let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you, I saw a need that I could not fulfill. I had a, uh, I was so deep in this well that I couldn't dig myself out. And the, the, the more I dug, the deeper I got. And my life has been changed. Let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. We just need to open our mouths. And they saw that he was indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. This story is just magnificent from front to end. Uh, the, the, the need to go to Samaria. In it, we see that Jesus reaches the marginalized people. Take a look around this room. We're all marginalized. We're, we're all just losers. We're, we're all just sinners. We're all just hacks. We're all just failures at life who have seen something, a need. And the person who satisfied that need will satisfy every need in our lives, even the physical ones, but more so the spiritual ones. As we head to the Thanksgiving table this week, my hope of today is that we see a greater God and we have fallen more in love with Him and the evidence of that love in our hearts will be the outflow of our mouths. And that as we thank God for all that He has given us, because He has truly blessed you and I, has He not? He has truly blessed you and I. As we thank Him on Thursday, we would just simply talk about how good He is. That we would just simply say, i got to tell you, I love my God. And we would live for Him. Our world, our neighborhood, our community, our country is ready for harvest. The workers are few. My prayer is that through today we have more workers willing to go for His sake. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Let's stay and let's close in prayer. Lord, uh, I thank you. I thank you for your word and the power of it, Lord, how it changes hearts and changes lives, how it's changed my life. The good news, Lord, I was lost. Wretched man. And you came and you saved 
Had you left me in your judgment, which you have every right to do, I deserve to be damned. But in your mercy, in your grace, those triumph over your judgment. And I stand before you justified. We stand before you forgiven. The debt has been paid. And so, with our lives, we say thank you. With our mouths, we overcome the culture of political correctness and speak the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if it cost us our comfort, even if it cost us our lives. May we be bold for you, O God. May we live for you because you died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.